Hey everyone, and welcome to episode 17 of the Cult Spark podcast. This is a podcast where we talk about movies, TV, and video games of the cult and geek varieties. However, for reasons that will become clear in just a minute, it's the video game portion of that mission statement that we are going to focus on the most today. My name is Bob Taylor. You can read my scribblings at cultspark.com, as well as those by my usual podcaster in crime, Stuart Smith, who is here with me again today. Stu, this is not a mini-cast. We are going to go for the full hour, so how's your stamina? Well, you should know, Bob. I do know, and it's... Ex- You've been helping me build it up. It's exemplary. So we should be it's good to go, then. very sexy. <laughs> it, it is, is this, in fact, this is the opposite, a, I assure you. No, no, I, I, I'm, I'm with Justin. This is a sexy podcast you've got yourself into, sir. And and that's what's so awesome about this episode. Stu and I are joined by a special guest. Video game journalist Justin Clark is going to be with us for the next hour. You just briefly heard his voice a second ago. Stu and I have been internet buddies with Justin for a while now. If you do some sleuthing, you'll even find some common websites in our work history. But these days you can find Justin's writing at such esteemed places as GameSpot, Joystick, and Slam Magazine. Justin, thanks for joining us. It's great to have you on the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. No problem. So uh, we're going to talk video games for the full hour tonight. We, uh, we we promise we're going to talk video games in the show sometimes, and then we usually end up ranting and raving about movies for the whole hour and never get to them. But since, I actually can't remember the last time we talked video games. When was it? It's been a long time. So since we have Justin on tonight, and since it's the end of the year, it gives us an opportunity to do sort of an end-of-the-year wrap-up. Um, a little later, we are going to be getting into our favorite video games of 2014. Stu and Justin both have lists, top 10 lists, that they're going to share with us. Everybody loves year-end lists. But before we get to that, I want to bitch about some video game things that are driving me crazy recently and get you guys' take on them. So the first thing, the big thing right now, is broken games, because there have been a fuck ton of them this holiday season. Uh, We've had, let's see, Stu, what's come out that's been broke? Uh, Assassin's Creed Unity, Halo Chief, uh, Halo Master Chief Collection, Drive Club. Um, we had Battlefield 4 last year. Right. Was, was the big one that didn't work out of the box. And we're talking about games that ship and then large components of them are a wreck. Either if it's multiplayer, you can't connect. The matchmaking doesn't work. If it's single player, like in the Assassin's Creed game, the frame rate's a mess. Just games that... Probably weren't be ready to ship, but were shipped and sold anyway. Justin, you're the expert here. Why does it feel like this is hitting critical mass to you, and why is this getting so much worse now? Um, it's pretty much happening just because of the nature of the industry right now. Because right now you're dealing with bigger and better technology, and like the whole you know we want to release a game a year thing doesn't quite work anymore. Like, you'll see examples where, like, you know, something like Call of Duty or Assassin's Creed or, like, um, Guitar Hero, like it was back in the day, where they'll release one every single year. As the technology gets better, it's harder and harder to keep that schedule and do all the, you know, due diligence that you used to. Like, I was talking to somebody a couple days ago about, like, there was this wonderful documentary when Halo 2 first came out where they had this wonderful deadline and they were ready for it and they were not going to make it unless they like you know figured out how to cut something out they were like working on it down to the deadline and inevitably they just ended up just cutting out the entire like climax of the game because they just couldn't make it now we're just seeing like you know the adverse of that where like you know they're going to ship it anyway and there's no way that they can stop it like 
Ubisoft isn't going to stop Assassin's Creed from coming out next year just because somebody can't, you know, somebody has like you know weird like a razor head face or something. <laughs> and it's it's such a bullshit business oriented mission statement. The whole game a year thing, you know, where we we have a successful series, we have to put one out every year, be it Assassin's Creed or Call of Duty, and I and I hate it. I just hate it. Any any game series where there's one a year, I'm almost instantly turned off just from the knowledge that that's how they're running that ship. Well, and, and part of the problem is that that gamers are are so or at least up until now have been so accepting of it. Um you know, we're just oh, we'll just we'll just wait for the patch. We'll buy all this stuff anyway. Right? Why are so, people so, so dumb? Pub- so publishers, you know, publishers don't really have the incentive, uh, you know, to to actually put out a finished game when they can just fix it in the patch because you know gamers for all of their griping about DLC and broken games still buy all of that stuff anyway. Well, then why are why are gamers so dumb? <laughs> why 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 does it happen? I mean there was no We also way. have to keep in mind like it's not just like gamers. Like it's not like adult gamers that are like, you know, doing their research, you know, they have all the disposable income. They're the ones doing their research and finding out like, you know, all this stuff is broken, they don't want to do it or anything, they're not gonna pay for pre orders. Um people under the age of eighteen on the other hand, I mean, this is not their income they're playing with, so you'll have a lot of sales from those folks. From kids who don't really know any better, going like, "I like Assassin's Creed. I'm gonna get the next one. I got a pre-order back in April." Yeah, you know, Justin, we'll have a lot of that. if you could do the rest of the podcast in that voice, uh, I would greatly appreciate it and think it might. Really My thread will go straight down the toilet, and it might be worth it. It might be worth it. <laughs> I'm hanging um, up now. Yeah, you're probably right about that. I mean, just parents picking up the new Assassin's Creed for Christmas just because that's the big new game and not knowing that it doesn't work like it's supposed to. Um, right. The other part of that actually is, I mean, like for the people that are like you know online and aware of this stuff and bitching. I mean, like it's like going online. It seems like you know it's everybody. Everybody's just so mad about everything. People online that are that informed are actually a really really small number. Like it's like movies. Like you know. If you go on the internet, like everybody knows exactly, like you know how every single movie ever is ever made, and like you know has opinions about box office and all that. And then you go out in the real world, and like you know you barely have somebody who's like, I saw Paul Blart, I saw Paul Blart Mall Cop in the theaters like five times, and that was the last movie I saw. There's a lot of that, and there's the there's the equivalent with video games as well. Yeah, it's kind of like <laughs> the movie equivalent of that is when they announced that. Benedict Cumberbatch was cast as Doctor Strange. There was a big section of sort of the internet movie geek community that's like, oh, this is the boring, safe choice, and why do they have to go with him? And he's overexposed. My mom doesn't know who the fuck Benedict Cumberbatch is. I still think there's a huge portion of the normies that have no idea. That's 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 what I see as the film equivalent. Right there, like you know, there are plenty of people not known from Sherlock, but even that audience is so damn small compared to like I don't know. Everybody knowing who the hell Tom Cruise is or something like that. It's not the same level of audience. So no matter how hard somebody bitches that they don't like this choice, there's a whole load of people who strictly do not give less of a fuck. At some point, does the backlash get so bad that it's more fiscally responsible for the publishers and the developers to back off the yearly release and put more attention toward the games, or do we got a long way to go before the financial repercussions of putting out a broken game would catch up with them? Maybe not necessarily with some of the biggest publishers, but like CD Projekt Red just announced 
uh, last week that The Witcher 3 was going to be delayed, I think, like at least another month, maybe another two months or something like that. You know, I mean, so in order so that they can keep polishing it. So, uh, you know, I think I think the impact is going to be immediate for some of these publishers, but uh, I seriously doubt that you're going to see, you know, Ubisoft or Activision or, or you know, your huge monolithic uh, publishers like that uh, have such an immediate reaction. Yeah, like you'll have – like it kind of goes two ways because you'll have a publisher like, you know, say Rockstar who like they're notorious where they'll set a release date and then they'll go, um, yeah, it's not ready yet. We'll push it back. And nobody complains. Nobody ever says anything. You know, their shareholders, you know, they're a little disappointed, but they get over it once, you know, their game sells millions upon millions of copies. So it's a practice that, like, you know, it's not ideal, obviously, but it pays off in the long term. Nintendo does the same thing. Whenever, you know, they have a Zelda game, they say, hey, it's being pushed back the next year. Nobody ever complains. So these big corporations have zero, like, zero excuse to say, this game, like, you know, we have to release it on this particular date or, you know, our, you know, shareholders will beat us with sticks. Like, that's not a viable excuse. I would always rather just wait for the better game. Always. Like, I remember uh, when Red Dead Redemption came out, it must have been, Rockstar must have delayed it three or four times. And, I mean, I was looking forward to that game just insanely. And it was, I mean, it was aggravating. And every time the delay came out, it, it stung. But... I mean, Red Dead ended up being one of my favorite games of all time. So, and we could all play it immediately without, you know, patches or whatnot. So it just works out that much better in the end, I think. But well, I, for the I consumer, it, obviously. I I think it was Shigeru Miyamoto who said that, you know, a a, a delay, a broken game will almost always stay broken, but a a delayed game always has a chance of being better. And it's just obviously that, you know, with we're in the age of the patch, so they can always fix a lot of the stuff. I'm just at the point now where I don't want to buy games new anymore. I want to wait at least a month for every single game and get it then. It's possible, but there are a lot of publishers out there that will, like, you know, they'll do it right the first time, and then that'll be it. But again, like you said, for the most part, it's these particular publishers that will put out a game a year there's usually like, and that's the other portion that seems to be a big part of it because Assassin's Creed seems to have this pattern where the fewer number of studios that are involved, the better it is. Right. Assassin's Creed Unity had like 10 studios making that one game. Yeah. I mean, Surely that's... one or two of those are screwing it up. <laughs> that's just, it's just crazy. And you, you reviewed Unity, right, Justin? I reviewed Rogue. That was the one that came out for the previous gen, but like that proved the point right there. I'm like, I read that was like a team of like, you know, it was still six studios or so, but like they were using the last gen engine. They had an idea what they wanted to do. This was an idea that they were kind of brewing around. That game actually turned out way better than I thought it was. Unity, on the other hand, like every single interview I've seen about it, everybody who I've heard like work behind the scenes said it was a mess from the word go. Jeez. What a disaster. I am uh, shying away from Assassin's Creed games for a good long while. Although the thing is, I mean, we could sit here and blame the companies for only looking at the bottom line, but some of it has to do with how complicated and technical these games are now. 
Uh, like, I'm a big RPG fan, so I play pretty much all the Bioware and Bethesda games. And those games, they're, they're certainly not broken when they come out, but there's always issues with those games that require them to be worked on an extra month past when they're released. But I don't think anybody really blames Bioware but Bethesda. It's just that they're such huge, complicated games. That's going to happen a little bit. Right, and with something like that, especially where, like, the game itself is that good, and, like, you know, they take the time to polish it as best they can, like, you know, if something goes wrong, we're just like, yep, it's screwed up, sorry, everybody's a little bit more forgiving. Something like Assassin's Creed, where they've been watering down the formula a little bit more each and every time they release it, it's less even, like, there's less there to kind of cushion the blow, essentially. Right. Like, for, like, everybody kept complaining about, like, the Master Chief collection on Xbox One. It's the multiplayer that was really the big hit, and like if that's what you were going into it for, that's your big takeaway from it. The campaign, on the other hand, is polished to a high shine, and like nobody really talks about that because you know I guess everybody's played it, but it's still the same game, and that's the part that you know really matters. Yeah, Stu and I have actually talked about that online. I, I, I just, I'm a guy that doesn't really replay games. Like, when I play a storyline to the game, I'll play it at the end of it, and then I'm done, and I'm never playing it again. So I just feel like anybody buying that Halo collection is buying it for the multiplayer and not the single player. But that's coming from my sort of myopic, just how I do things. I just feel like the multiplayer is the part that they really needed to have working. But, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Bob expects all games and all game developers to cater specifically to him. That is accurate. Damn anyone else. That is much. correct. Um, the other... I accept this just because that's most gamers at this point. Yeah, seriously. Yeah, pretty much. All right, guys. Are we ready to get into some top ten lists? I'm always ready to get into some top ten lists. Oh, wait a minute. Before we get into our top ten lists, i got to tell Justin this. Stu, I spoiled it for you on Twitter earlier, but I got my eight-year-old on xbox live today she's been wanting to get some achievements and stuff on the on the one and whatnot so she's eight so I, I went and got her an email address and i got her an xbox live profile and when you create an xbox live profile it gives you a default gamer tag before you change it to what you want and the default gamer tag that my xbox one gave my eight-year-old was hardline booch 69 and I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. <laughs> and Snoochie boochies. Right. I mean, I, uh, and it's like, I don't know if that's like a random word and number generator. I'm not even sure how that happens. And again, you can change it immediately. But my daughter's sitting there doing this with me and she's like, hardline boot 69. And I'm just like, oh, don't worry. You can pick what you want it to be. We're changing it. If that's the worst thing that she sees on Xbox yes. Live, she's going to have a very lucky childhood. Uh, well, trust I me, I, I've, I've got a lot of her uh, privileges turned off. But, um, yes, well, it's, you know, if this is automatically generated, maybe take the number 69 out of the possible numbers <laughs> that can come up. And, and yeah, booch, booch just sounds dirty. And when you Google it, like I did earlier, there are a bunch of, um, what is it? Uh, Urban Dictionary. Is that what that site's called? Yeah. Herb, there, there are a bunch of Urban Dictionary. Is that what it's called, Stu? God, you What's are that? so old. What's that dictionary? Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I am. I think I'm Where's right. That I'm not even going to respond to that. I don't know if I can. Yeah, it's Urban Dictionary. I was right. 
If you if you type in booch into Google, a bunch of Urban Dictionary. Uh, uh, I have a laptop in front of me right now, and I'm looking at that yes. definition, and I hate you so much yeah. for even telling me. Right. This it, the it's, it, I'll scroll down. There's a couple good definitions for booch at Urban Dictionary, none of which I want associated with my eight-year-old daughter. None. What name did you end up going with? Yes, that's what I'm going to do, Stu. I'm going to reveal my daughter's gamer tag name for everybody listening to our podcast. I don't know. You could maybe edit this part out. Leave your question in, but edit out the answer. How? What sense would that make, Stuart? I don't know. Go look it up on Urban Dictionary if you can find it. No, we're moving on to top ten lists. I just had to share the grossly inappropriate gamer tags that Microsoft likes to recommend for children. <laughs> <laughs> okay, who wants to go first? Stu, we should let our guests go first. That's the core. Oh, are we, we do, moving right? into top yeah, ten? Yeah, we're going to do top ten list now. I think you should be nice okay, and let our really guests go first. Okay, we're list or just go from like you know uh, one by one. Uh, we're, we'll go. No, read us your whole list and go from ten to one. Okay. okay. This so, is we. I don't from, have I don't have drum roll effects, but this is going to be video game critic Justin Clark's top ten list of two thousand four, starting in or two thousand of two thousand fourteen. Of 2014, <laughs> starting with number 10. Oh, okay. We will also be accepting your 2004 top 10 list later on in the show, Justin. But we'll do 2014. Yep, so my number five was going to be Ninja Gaiden Black. Cause, yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. In the, in, in the interest of time, we'll just do 2014. Go ahead, sir. Okay. All right. So from the bottom here. So I had Mario Kart 8 at 10. Shadow of Mordor was 9. Um, a Bird Story is at 8. Never Alone is at 7. Um, the South Park Stick of Truth is at 6. 5 was Wolf Among Us. Um, number 4 was The Last of Us Remastered. Number 3 was Walking Dead Season 2. Number 2 was Bayonetta 2. And number 1, I actually had PT. Which is the demo. Wow. Th- that's the demo for the new Silent Hill, correct? That's the demo for the new Silent Hill. Yeah. Okay. Stu, how do you feel about Justin's list? Uh, I'm just, you know what? I am, I am proud of him for having the balls to put a demo as number one. Uh, you know what? You got to respect that. I do have to mention because, like, when I put together, like, I helped put together the list for Slam Magazine, and like, you know, it was kind of an aggregate vote between you know everybody's like top ten and like you know their you know secondaries and all that. But I literally had to like have a, like a back and forth email exchange with my editor because like the one of the other writers was like, um, why are you putting a demo up there? And <laughs> literally, I had, like I've been going over that for like months upon months upon months. It's just like this is literally like the best thing I have played all year. On top of that, like it just literally, it one it scared the living bejesus out of me. That's it's one the scariest thing, thing I've ever played. Yeah, um, like, you know, Alien Isolation is close because, like, I was, I was literally so stressed out that I could not finish that game. But PT was one of those ones where, like, it's scary as hell and I can't stop playing it. I have to know what's going to happen next. And just the fact that, like, you know, it's a hard game where, like, you know, you have no weapons, you have no way to fight whatever the hell is going, you know, to come at you, and the game world is actively trying to fuck with you. It was just this confluence of factors where, like, you are living horror right now. Like, that is, like, when we talk about next-gen, that is a next-gen horror game right there. And I don't even know if, like, the final game is going to even get close to that, but... Literally, my next question was going to be, do you think there's any chance the final game lives up to that? There's a chance, because Kojima, like, you know, Hideo Kojima is one of those guys, like, you know, I 
he goes back and forth as like a game director, but as a producer, his ideas are always fantastic. So if he can keep Del Toro, like, you know, if he can, like, you know, provide all the technology, like, he downloads Wars of Shadow, and Del Toro, you know, doesn't screw around and, like, you know, make it too gimmicky or anything, there's a chance. I have doubts, however. And even if it doesn't, like, there's still, like, this one little thing that we will always have for free that absolutely blows everything out of the water. You have, So you have two Telltale games on your list, Wolf Amongst Us and Walking Dead 2, correct? I do. And see, I I played the original, the, the first Walking Dead series, so it was the five installments. And I thought they were very effective from a story perspective, and I'd be lying if I said I didn't get emotionally involved in the fate of Clementine and the story they were telling. But at least based on the, that series of games, those first five installments of The Walking Dead, the, the gameplay is such a miss for me on those. It's so non-existent to me. And I come from, I am old, and I come from an old-school adventuring background of you know the old LucasArts games and Maniac Mansion and all that. And it seems like the gameplay of, adventure, of those adventure titles is nowhere near as complex or interesting or difficult as as it once was. It feels way too just paint by numbers, walk here, flip the switch, and you don't really have to think about it too much. Let's just get you on to the next story beat. Um, so do you think that's a fair criticism, Justin? Have those games gotten any better in that regard? Because I felt that way, I, I have not played either of these two. I haven't played Walking Dead Series 2, and I never played Wolf Amongst Us. Well, in a way, yeah, because I totally get that, because, like, in terms of gameplay, like, literally, it's, you know, you make choices, you walk around, they tell you exactly where to go, there's a Dragon Slayer sequence, and then you're done. On one hand, that is a good thing, because, um, like, I don't, again, if you've ever played one of those LucasArts adventure games, like, recently, like, you know, they get obtuse as hell. Where just, like, you'll be sitting there in a room, and you're just like, um, I just picked up a, a fingernail um i just picked up a fountain pen and a sandwich now, what do i see, do see i i like the sandwich to old man mcgillicuddy no. for that ball of twine you see, needed you know I, mean, I like the obtuseness the obtuseness is the game rather than here's a key here's a keyhole that looks identical to that key what should we do next which well, is well that's the thing because right now those telltale games the gameplay isn't like you know puzzle solving or anything the gameplay right. is literally morality itself it's right. you, that... like, you know, like, literally role-playing where, like, you know, you are this character. You basically are in control of their soul, essentially. Right. The the, and... the focus of, of those games is on the decision-making element. Do you save person A or do you save person B? Right. And the other thing is, like, yeah, they have gotten better in that one regard where, like, yeah, well, um, Walking Dead Season 1, it was, like, just the decision-making and that was it. Now they have gotten to a point where, like, you know, those Dragon's Lair sequences have actually started to tie a little bit more into gameplay and, like, the actual decisions. Like, Wolf Among Us, like, there's a section, like, you know, episode three where, like, you know, he acts, like, you know, Bigby Wolf actually starts turning. And you have this decision right in the middle of this quick time sequence whether you want to kill this dude or not. And that's a decision that, like, you know, that carries throughout the rest of the season and probably through the rest of, like, you know, the gameplay, like, if they ever do a season two. So I feel like they're getting better in terms of bringing the more of a game into it. But, again, the core of the game is always going to be that decision-making, and they just absolutely nail that every single time now. Right, and, that, I mean, I, you know, I, I kind of echo everything here. It's But 
just in terms of the shallowness, I guess, or whatever you want to call it, of the gameplay. But I've never really cared because these are such wonderful experiments in storytelling delivery that, you know, any sort of mundane bits of, you know, interstitial gameplay just it doesn't matter because the the choices that they present me with are often so involved and so like nerve wracking that, you know, that I'll just sit there just staring, trying to figure out what, you know, which is the least horrible decision that I want to make here. Yeah. And like walking dead season two, especially like the reason why I have that one so high is just because compared to season one, like most of it is like, you know, it's a pretty straightforward story. And then episode five happens and episode five essentially turns it into a Coen Brothers movie. <laughs> well, now you have my attention, last sir. Act. Yeah, the last act of that, I'm like, it's two characters who, like, you know, they both have, like, you know, their, you know, their quirks, they have their upside, they have their downside, and they are, like, at each other's throats, and you have this little girl sitting in the backseat who has to deal with this and has a kid with her. Like, it gets just so, like, inhuman and ugly and fascinating that just yeah that final decision just turn, like tears your heart apart well you have me interested although like i said Stu mentioned it's just great sort of interactive storytelling but i've never been the biggest fan of the i, I need some really some gameplay to have like meat on the bones of these games like i've never been a fan of the straight just like interactive story that are only video games in the bare minimum sense like you know you'll have the the action games that are a lot of lush, gorgeous cinematics and then sort of a half-assed action game with a lot of uh, quick-time events and stuff put in the middle. It's never been my cup of tea. But that, fair, but that is why Bayonetta is a little bit higher than that, because that is... Well, there you go. That is gameplay yeah. perfection. Oh, yes. Like, if I could drip that over pancakes in the morning, I so would. <laughs> um, Shadow of Mortar, I have... And I have enjoyed, although I haven't played it nearly as much as I should, and I haven't beaten it, it just feels, I mean, it takes bits from a lot of other series, polishes them up, and blends them together really, really well. But except for the orc army system where you're affecting uh, who the orc generals are and uh, what's the what's the name of the system? I know it has a name. Nemesis. The yeah, nemesis. The except for the nemesis system, I just get a little too much of a feeling of like been there, done that on that game that that keeps me from playing any long stretches of times. I, I think it's good. I don't know. It just it, it incorporates so many things that I've done before in other games. Which is good, but like. From my side, like, Shadow of Mordor is essentially my Assassin's Creed for the year. Like, that one, I take that one, I'm good. That's what I wanted out of it to begin with. Okay. But, like, you know, I get, totally give her, like, you know, the main story, like, the, like, Talion, he's, you know, good guy, good story, like, it kind of is fitting with, you know, Tolkien and all that, but he's Talion not my, star. Well, he's, he's by far one of the most generic video game characters I've encountered in a long time. Yeah, and every that's the it's one of those situations just like Watch Dogs where it's just like you have this boring ass protagonist and everybody else around him is people I would rather be playing with. You know what else? Although I thought this was a problem, but I've I've been informed that maybe it's not. Is that as I was playing the map, the universe that you're playing in just seemed way too samey. Like everything's sort of 
you know, Red Hills. The whole the whole map that you walk across basically looks the same from top to bottom, left to right. But then my buddy tells me you actually advanced to an entirely different map at some point in the game. Yeah, about about that, halfway through about that, halfway through the story. Right. So uh, I, it opens up to a completely different map. Right. I haven't gotten to that point yet, and I guess I need to since that was one of my chief sort of annoyances with it. But that clears that up. Yeah, but it, it does help. And but like again, by that point, like you have so much going on, where it's just like, but but I want to find out what happened to the orc that was sitting in that field. Like they actually become like you know general, right? Like you like kind of get invested in those little stories as they happen. The nemesis system is very to... cool. It's very cool. Yeah, I can't I can't wait to see the nemesis system implemented into a game that I actually want to finish. Like. <laughs> Like it's 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 a brilliant thing. It's absolutely fantastic. Like it's I think that the Nemesis system is going to be kind of what, you know, cover shooters were last generation. It's just going to be something that I think a lot of people try and implement especially now that so many games are going open world. Uh I think it'll be really interesting to see what kind of leads other people other developers take from this. We should, in case somebody's listening who doesn't know, Justin, explain what the Nemesis system is exactly in, in Shadow of Mortar. Okay, so basically what'll happen is, like, you know, you're generic, you know, fantasy dude, and you're running around the countryside, you know, trying to eliminate these orc, like, you know, higher ops, like captains, orc hive, you know, kind of that kind of level of higher orc. Now, instead of just going up and just saying, hey, I stab you in the middle of the back, you're dead, thanks, bye, and that's it. What can happen instead is that you can also, like, you know, interrogate these orcs, find out, you know, who the generals are, you find out what their weaknesses are, like, you know, who they hate in their own army, and you kind of get more options in terms of either eliminating him using his worst fear or possibly, you know, setting him up so that, like, you know, somebody rises up and, like, you know, takes over his spot and, like, you know, create all this infighting. Alternately, if you get into a fight with one of these people and they win or you have to run away because you're low in health, they act, their reputation within their own army goes up. Where, like, the next time you meet them, like, their army is no longer afraid of you. They know what your weaknesses are. They'll taunt you about how you died the last time you got killed. I mean, basically, the game itself is changing depending on what you did and what these orcs, you know, what their hierarchy is like as the game goes on. You're directly affecting the entire universe of these orcs. Their entire structure, societal structure, you directly affect it through the game. I gotta admit, I was pretty disappointed. I was hoping you would just go into the bricktop quote from Snatch. (laughs) Three people will get that joke. Yeah, but there'll be our people. A watch's infliction of retribution manifested by an appropriate agent, personified in this case by a generic fantasy asshole. Me. Give that man a cigar. <laughs> Justin, there there was one game on your list that I love unconditionally, and we'll talk about it a little later, but I'm going to let Stu go first. So, Stu, let's hear your top ten list for 2014. All right, top ten list in ascending order is number ten, Transistor. Number nine, Strider. Number eight, Drive Club. Number seven, Donkey Kong Country Tropical Freeze. Number six, Bayonetta 2. Number five, Shovel Knight. Number four, Captain Toad Treasure Tracker. Number three, Mario Kart 8. Number two, Super Smash Brothers for Wii U. And number one, the pick that will get so many people to either completely discredit me, hate me, blow me off entirely, 
God help me, I am putting Destiny at number one. There, I, I mean, no, just no, Stu. <laughs> no. Take it back. Do Go I defend myself now, or do we talk about the other games and then I defend myself? Uh, no, you better start defending yourself now, or, okay. or you might not get out of here alive. <laughs> I, I say this knowing 100% uh, A, that almost no one will agree with me, but B, yes, it is an incredibly flawed game. There is so much that it could have done better. There is, There were so many problems with it. I didn't care. I played 80 hours of that game before the DLC ever came out. Uh, it hooked me in a way that no other game has in a very long time. Uh, what it got right, it got incredibly right. I just... I loved playing it despite its myriad flaws and i just you know it it would have felt wrong to put something else there because there was nothing else that held my attention uh so rigidly uh for such an extended period of time uh, this year it just i mean to me there was there was nothing else that i could put up at the top given that i i hate played destiny the way people hate watch tv <laughs> um and I know we've talked about online, Stu. It's hard for me to bitch too much about a game that I put, like, 60, 70 hours in. Yeah. And I did. But uh, there's just so much about that game that drives me crazy. Oh, and the I way the, the way I... they've botched the way the DLC and the add-ons and the expansions are going to be incorporated now as far as the way they're dealing with armor and weapons. And it's just... No, someone uh, in so in, mu so many of the systems of that game, the, the you know the the upgrade systems and the and the weapon systems and the armor systems and the light systems and the way to touch. So many of those systems are ill advised, ill thought out, sort of uh, you know they'll affect depending on how you're playing the game. They'll be hugely right. overly beneficial to one group of players and just aggravating and just you know the opposite to another group of players and i agree i agree <laughs> with everything that you're saying and that's part i mean it, believe me it's it's a little bit maddening to me as well but it just i that's just how it was i mean i just i love the the way that the shooting is tuned i love the just the mobility options i just i love the way that the game actually feels when you're actually playing when you're you know out on a mission you know and you're teamed up with a couple buddies and it just it just feels but there so are plenty of there are plenty of co-op and multiplayer shooters out there that do that i mean yes it's an incredibly gameplays wise the shooting it's an incredibly polished shooter game yes I, but there are a lot of those None of them that um, came out this year. All right. Um, yes, there were. I, okay, so just today, and this is perfect timing because I just spent a week. Like, I hadn't played Destiny since beginning of November just because way too much stuff came out that I would rather be playing during November where I just was like, yeah, I'm done with it. But then I got assigned, you know, reviewing Dark Below for GameSpot. So it was like, you know, that fucking lost moment where I was just like, we have to go back. Why do I have to go back? So I spent a week going back there and having the grind from like level 27 all the way up to level 29 mm -hmm. and remembering with every day that passed why the fuck I hated every 
thing about everything past level 20. Because it was like, all these times were like, yes, it plays very, very well. I like how they implemented the classes. I like the enemy movement. I like how a lot of stages are designed. When that game is on, it is great. If you want to do anything beyond what you already have, it is a pain. Because the second you say, I want a new gun, all right, well, that'll be 175, you know, crucible marks. Okay, I got those. But wait, you can't upgrade that. You're going to have to go get some XP so you can actually open up that slot. Okay, how do I get XP? Doing some bounties. Okay, I need to do some bounties. But you're not high enough level for that. How do I do that? It's just this constant cycle of MMO annoyances and advancements and the things that make you feel really, really good about like trying to level up and grind. They just don't happen fast enough. And so, and I and I and, and again, I mean, I I see all of those. I acknowledge them, but I I don't know. Maybe I'm just in denial here. Maybe listen, I, it, it's like an abusive relationship. I just keep it, coming back. It, it and is, here's the thing, though, because like that's again the same week. I like I just turned in the review today, and after that, I was just like, oh, thank God, I am done. What else have I got? And I've had like Wolfenstein: The New Order sitting on my like sitting on my coffee table like for the last two weeks or so haven't touched it so i was like okay i'll finally take it out and like i played that for an hour got a story that i was actually invested in got guns that felt absolutely amazing to actually use and i'm interested in like keeping going just because like it's not just like a grind or anything i actually see my progress i see all this other stuff happening and i'm invested in what's actually going on abusive relationship is absolutely the correct terminology here because that's honestly what it is i i can't say i hate it just because i'm not enough of a masochist to play a game for 60 or 70 hours that i hate i have bought and paid full price for games before that i've hated and i just take the loss and i stop playing them the the original that's why I don't see it like as, I don't that, see it as an abusive relationship. I just see it as like a drug user relationship. <laughs> but like given us all the hits that we can stand. I mean, we had a great weekend once, but now they want me to keep coming back, and they know that I can't resist it, so I have to anyway. I, and then when it all runs out, you just feel bad after that weekend. You have to go into work on Monday morning after that shift. It's weird, though, because my experience is a little different than yours, Justin, and this is part of the problem with the game because it comes down to how different people play it, I think. But um, I think it's very slow and kind of boring in the early goings. And then once you get to 20, I actually think it's fun for a while between, like, 20 and 25. Like, once you can start getting some exotic and legendary stuff... I actually think the game picks up then, and that's probably when I was most into it. But then once you hit, like, level 26, it just turns into a huge slog again. And it's it's almost unbearable from that point on. And I hear it, I guess you can confirm this, but I hear it only gets worse with the Dark Below. Um, yeah, like, Dark Below, there's potential there. Like, I actually like the new NPC they have, like, you know, She's somebody like, you know, she fights Crota, like her and six other people. She's the only survivor of her raid team. And she comes back and just like, I need guardians to help me finish the job. And like, that was like, okay, I'm interested in helping you. That was good. And then you start going through all these missions and you just realize there is nothing there. Like there's one raid and then all these other missions are kind of recycled bits from stuff that's happened before. 
meanwhile, there is one part of that DLC that actually works, and then I realized, like, there's nothing else like this in the game, and I was just like, they hit pay dirt, they need to foster this. There's one quest that you, well, you probably can't get it now until Friday, but there's one quest you get from Zero where you buy this urn, and there's, like, six missions that go along with it. One of them is just, like, you know, you kill Thrall with, like, you know, a solar weapon. One of them is you have to melee kill those cursed Thrall, the ones that explode, which is tricky, but, like, it's fun. But the best one is this one mission. You go to Earth. You wait in the middle of this field for a public event. But instead of the normal, like, you know, they have a little orange icon and a little ship comes down. You have to protect something. It's in it's an all-out war between Fallen and Hive on this one battlefield. And you have to kill this one, like, you know, epic knight that shows up in the middle of this all-out war. And it's, like, a completely random event. People can just come across it and help out if they need to. Every single enemy type is involved. It's insane. And it only happens this one time in the entirety of the game, over, like, you know, 100 hours of playing this game. Like, it's a random event that everybody can participate in, and the rewards are massive. That's the game I wanted to play. And you only get it once in this entire game. And it's just so frustrating watching that potential be just squandered. It, it's so, it's just the weirdest experience I've had this game, where I basically hate played it for an absurd amount of hours, learned to grudgingly accept that, okay, it, it, you know, I can't hate this game. I at least like it enough to play it that much. But now I never want to touch it again. Even though it's designed to be this 10-year game or this ongoing experience, I never want to touch the fucking thing again. So would you guys feel better if I put Captain Toad Treasure Tracker at number one? Because I well, seriously came close to doing I would, that. I've still not played it, but I would still feel much, so much better about that, <laughs> having that little adorable bastard up there. It's rather so than good. It's so good. It's Stu, you have a lot of Nintendo games on your list, and I wanted to know how you feel about being the only Wii U, uh, Wii U owner in the country and the only person who will get to enjoy these apparent masterpieces. It's an absolute shame because this was, damn it, this was the year of Nintendo. I mean, the, the majority of the games on my list are either Nintendo first-party exclusives or exclusive, well, they were exclusive to the console, uh, to a Nintendo system. Shovel Knight's coming out for PS4 now, but... Um, you know what? It's we were talking earlier about broken games, busted games, games that aren't you know that aren't finished when they come out. And if nothing else, Nintendo proved this year that when you buy their stuff, it works exactly how it should, and it's polished and it's gorgeous and it is unbelievably fun to play. I just feel like, and I can't speak to these games specifically because I don't have a Wii U, but. Nintendo games just started to feel all too samey for me. Every, I mean, the the whatever Mario Kart game came out would be basically a clone of the one in front of it. The Last Zelda Skyward Sword did nothing for me. It's uh, the Mario games just started stacking up on top of one each other, and it just feels like they were regurgitating the same stuff year after year after installment after installment without changing the formula at all. And I just Here, got I just got sick of Nintendo. I just got tired of it. Here's the thing. Uh, first of all, Captain Toad Treasure Tracker is the absolute antidote to that. If you think that, you know, if you feel like Nintendo stuff is just getting too iterative, uh, Captain Toad is uh, the perfect uh, solution to that because these, this is this is precisely uh, one of the reasons why Nintendo is so brilliant because this this takes 
some bonus levels that were in Super Mario 3D World and fleshes that concept out uh, to this surprisingly uh, long game. I mean, I've spent like probably a good 15 hours playing this and still haven't finished it. But each each level is its own little contained diorama, essentially uh, that you can rotate and move around. Uh, but it like it's it's all it's just a bunch of puzzle levels, and uh, your little toad character can't jump. Uh, he only has you know, he has minimal defensive capabilities, but it's all about you know navigation and puzzle solving and and you know traversal, and it, it's just it's brilliantly executed. It looks gorgeous. Uh, you know, it runs at a really high frame rate and resolution. Uh, the art style that they've employed here is just absolutely fantastic. It's a, it's a perfect example of, you know, of what Nintendo is actually trying to do and it's, you know, and, and what it's actually executing. Uh, you know, as far as everything else is, I mean, yeah, on a superficial level, I, yeah, there's probably not a whole lot of difference between Mario Kart 7 and Mario Kart 8. Uh, but the level of polish that exists, the amount of fun that is still to be had within that concept is phenomenal. Stu, you just talked about this game for like 10 minutes. It's that, it's <laughs> that good. It's that good. To be fair, as well he should. Like, again, my list didn't really reflect it. But, yeah, seriously, Nintendo had a really, really great year. And, like, you know, I had Shovel Knight on mine as well, which is pretty much like, an, you know, if they made... Dark Souls by 8-bit. Like, it's that level of good, and it's also it's that brilliant. level of deep. And yeah, it's wonderful. It was one of those games that was just, like, I could... It just barely didn't make the, like, you know, top ten. Like, you had that, you had Hyrule Warriors, which, like, you know, it's nothing, like, you know, fancy or anything, but, like, it's, like, one of the most fun games i played over the year. And it didn't, like, you know, really fun things with Zelda that they really should do more often instead of making it more serious. Um, there was that one, um, yeah, like, they, Mario Kart 8, like, you know, that, that was just, like, a perfect example of how, like, you know, they just let their players have at, like, you know, whatever it was that they had, and they just had fun with it. And there's not nearly as many people doing that with their games anymore, where they just, like, okay, we have this concept, how can we make this more open for everybody to have fun with it? And that death stare me was probably, like, the best thing that happened to games all year. Oh, my God. Oh, and that, that's yeah. actually, that's one thing when, you know, bringing up Mario Kart, uh, kind of finding a, a way to do things best. Mario Kart 8 has the absolute best DLC of almost any game I've ever played. You, like, cause, cause what, what they effectively did was you paid, you can pay 12 bucks, uh, and between what they just released last month and what will be coming out next year, you'll effectively be getting half half of a Mario Kart. You'll be getting uh, six characters and four... No, let's see. How many? It's, it's six, 16 new track for 12 bucks. I mean, that's... And all of, you know, all the tracks that were released in the, in the most recent, uh, you know, half are fantastic. Uh, they look amazing. They're great, you know... They're great translations of, like, you know, Zelda and F-Zero tracks. Uh, you know, that... That shows how to do DLC and to do it well without, you know, screwing over your customer base. I just, I mean, I grew up a Nintendo kid. I know how polished their games are. I respect them for, you know, taking as long as they want until they get their games right to put them out. 
it's just I, I I don't know if they skew too young. I don't know if all the sequels end up feeling too samey. But it's just I'm just not that interested anymore. I feel sorry for you. It's Bob. sad. It's like the loss of a loss why is of your soul gone, Bob? You Can I it. offer you some ice cream for your black, black, black soul? <laughs> it's because I've had to do, what, 17 of these fucking podcasts with Stuart Smith, and it's just it's destroyed anything left of my humanity. My work here is done. Stuart, will you please get him some ice cream for the next one, just for the love of God? All right. I, I don't play nearly as many games as you, do, you two do, so I don't have a top ten list, but I did want to talk about some of my favorites that I played this year. Uh, my absolute... No question, favorite game of 2014, and the one that I've sunk even more time into than I did Destiny, was Hearthstone for my iPad. Which is the strangest thing, because I'm not a World of Warcraft guy, I have never played a collectible card game in my entire life, and yet that game was released like a week or two after I bought my iPad, mostly to read comics and shit on. I got it just because it was the big game, it was the big iOS game story of that month, and I haven't been able to put it down since. I basically still play at least a half hour every single day. It's that addicting. So that would be my game of the year on neither of yours lists. And it's not on a console. It's on a. It's on tablets. If I had a, if I had a tablet, I'd probably have at least tried but, um, it by now. Have you ever played it, Justin, either on the PC or on the tablet? I have not, and I know I probably should just so, like, everybody who brings it up, I can actually talk to it at all, but, yeah, it was just not one that I actually got around to. It's it's so fantastic. It's, it's you know, it's, it's free to play, but it's designed so properly that I've never spent a dime on it, and, you know, I don't have every great card available in the decks or whatever, but the, the way the currency system works in the game, just by playing, you're able to get all the good stuff and compete. Um, it's an excellent, excellent game. So if I had a list, Hearthstone would definitely be number one. Number two would be South Park, The Stick of Truth, which was also on your list, yeah. Justin. Uh, yeah. I am a massive fan of the show. And as far as adaptations, as far as video game adaptations of a known property, you know, a comic, a movie, a TV show or whatever, South Park is one of the best, if not the best I've ever played. When you're looking at it strictly as an adaptation, I think it's up there with the Batman Arkham series, if not better. It has solid RPG underpinnings, but the that game's all about the story and the humor, and I just I just cracked up the whole way through. Just laughed my ass off. And that's what happens when you actually get the people who created, you know, the property that you're licensing out to actually help with creating the game. Because literally, like, the second they came out that one E3 and like you know made a whole bunch of gamers go and you could just like see like how proud they were that they were working on is like from minute one and it just comes through. And it feels. And I mean, I was sold within ten seconds. Within within a minute of booting that game up, you're creating a South Park version of yourself that's going to be dropped into that universe, and it's amazing. And just named, named douchebag. Right. And it's oh, just and that, that was the other part of it too because like that part I was just like oh I get to create my own South Park character like that's been done before and then when they got to the classes and it was just like you know warrior magician and then Jew was a class right. I just dropped it's, the controller and just yeah the I mean not only are you getting the humor of the show sort of the political humor and irreverent humor. But you're also getting where they actually satirize video games and sort of video game tropes 
throughout the whole thing. Like there's a segment where you're going around tracking down um, audio recordings like Bioshock style, and the game is openly mocking you for wasting time tracking down audio recordings. And it's fantastic. Yep, it's wonderful. And the one part that stuck with me is it's like you have that one boss fight where like, you know, you're shrunk down. Yes. And you find your parents screwing on their bed and you have a boss fight while it's happening. I was just like, they actually got away with this in an M-rated game. I don't know who they had to like threaten their family in order to get that into a game, but... It's crazy because when you think of South Park, the TV show, you think of, oh, well, they'll do anything. They can get away with anything. It's South Park. But then you never, until you play this game, because the game goes so far beyond even what they can get away with on the show, as far as sort of the nudity and the sex and the raunchiness and that kind of stuff. Because after all, I mean, Comedy Central does have advertisers and they probably don't, uh, you know, they obviously don't give them carte blanche to do whatever they want on the show but when you pop in that game and you're dodging a swinging ball sack as you are engaged in a in a in a boss fight it's just like wow i mean without the without having to worry about advertisers they just get away with everything in that game yeah i just could not believe i was actually playing that sequence when it was happening it's amazing so yes if anybody at all likes um South Park, the show, and plays video games. Pick up South Park, Stick of Truth. It's absolutely fantastic, and it's it, it just it feels exactly like the show, from the art style down to the humor, down to uh, pretty much everything. Let's see. Elsewhere on my list, other games I really like this year. Um, I'm playing Dragon Age Inquisition now. I'm sure it will end up being one of my favorite games, if not my favorite of this year. But I I'm not very far into it. I bought it uh, a week or ten days late. And then I was kind of waiting for the Xbox One patch to hit, which actually just dropped today as we're recording this. I'm really liking it so far. Uh, Stu, I know you've played it some. I'm like a huge Bioware groupie, basically. So, so far, so good on Dragon Age. It's good so far. I haven't been able to play it much because my wife absolutely dominated it. And I basically just gave up trying to play it in between her long stretches of playing it uh, until she beat it. So that one mm, very likely could have ended up on my list. But, yeah, I haven't been able to play it enough to to fairly make that judgment. And I need somebody to really convince me that I will actually enjoy it because I'm a Bioware groupie. I just never – my problem is I love Bioware, but I'm so picky about, like, medieval fantasy that – I tried playing both of the other ones and just could never get well, into it. Dragon Age is like the redheaded stepchild of Bioware's. I mean, it's not Knights of the Old Republic. It's not Mass Effect. It's It, it seems like Dragon Age is always a harder sell with people. I flat out strongly disliked uh, the first Dragon Age. The, nothing about the story grabbed me. I thought the art style uh, was hideously drab. None of the characters were very interesting. I didn't even bother with the second one, but this one so far uh, has been pretty good. Dragon Age One's fantastic, Stu. So I don't know what you're talking about. Um, Dragon Age you Two. You don't like you don't like Skyfall. So what do you know, Bob? Uh, not, we can't get into that every show, Stu. Yes, we can. Skyfall. We can and we will. We are not getting into Skyfall at the end of every show as much as you want. It's to. true, Justin. Yeah, this conversation is over. Thank you yes. for having me We're on. We're going to. <laughs> We're, we're gonna play the do, outro music listen 12 months from now 11 months from now there's gonna be a new bond movie open and we're we're gonna do a show and we're gonna really get into that but um dragon age one is great dragon age two has problems but is underrated and i'm like an inquisition 
so far. Uh, there's one other game I wanted to mention. I am an X-Bone owner. I do not have a PS4, and uh, Microsoft's been giving us their free game every month, and normally it's some sort of side-scrolling throwback indie game like that horrible Volgar the Viking game they put out last month. Most of these things are terrible. I don't want them even though they're free. However, Super Time Force is really excellent. Super Time Force was was pretty great. I will I will absolutely agree with and that. And out of all these sort of throwback side-scrolling things I've been forced to play this year, that one stood head and shoulders above all of them. It's hilarious. Uh, the mechanic of being able to, it's sort of a side-scrolling game, but when you die, you're able to rewind, drop another character in, or drop a clone of your first character in, play through that section again, that character dies, you rewind, you drop a third character in, and then all of a sudden you're folding back the space-time continuing so much that you'll have 30 different characters, which you are quote-unquote controlling, all blasting through a level at the same time, and it's wonderful. And I think that's it for me. Like I said, I don't get to play as much as you guys. I Although from your lists, I have some suggestions now. Although I'm not buying a fucking Wii U to, so none of those are going to work. Why are you such a horrible well, person, Bob? <laughs> uh, hey, there's some great games, but I refuse to play them. That's right. It, it's, it, and plus, it's do I believe you. And, you know... You you you've proven to be not entirely trustworthy, mm-hmm. Stu. I mm-hmm. think we I think we all know this. I think we all Stu Smith not entirely trustworthy. He did have destiny at the top of his list. Right. So okay. I, no, no, no. Exactly. Dis- decide right now, Justin, which is worse, me me putting destiny as game of the year or Bob hating Skyfall. Yeah, Skyfall kind of wins that. I gotta say. Thank so, you. Um, I would drop my yeah. mic right now. I have. To- I'm just going to have to, at the end of the podcast, which is basically now, I have to remind everybody to like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter. Please go to our iTunes page and give us a nice review there. And I'm also going to have to start putting up a disclaimer that's like, don't listen to Stu. If you want to read my full detailed breakdown of why Skyfall is not a very good James Bond movie, please go to cultspark.com and do a search for Skyfall and you'll find my review. Because I'm not fighting this on every single podcast. But it's, yes, you are, Bob. But it is true that Skyfall is not very good. But that's neither here nor Yeah, so now. send all the hate mail to cultspark.com. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Justin, thanks for joining us. I hope you had fun. Stu doesn't hope you had fun, I, but I did. I do. <laughs> I hope Dude, nobody has fun. He knows what fun looks like. So, yeah, thank of you, course Je- you Thank you, Justin. Thank you. Yeah. Seriously, man, though, thanks for coming on and sharing some of your expertise with us. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on, guys. No problem. Uh, and we'll be back in a couple weeks to do another episode. As for everyone listening, thank you for your time. We appreciate it. And we'll catch you next time.